you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. All right, everybody, this is the best news to ever happen in the entire history of, of everything. Individual Meat Eater episodes from our new season, I'm talking the TV show, not this here podcast, are available for instant streaming and HD downloads right after they air on TV. So you get a new episode every Thursday. There's no embargo, you know, where you got to wait a long time to get a new episode. It comes out on TV, you go to your computer, you watch it on your computer, no problem. Head over to meateater.vhx.tv to instantly watch the new season of Meat Eater in HD. Use the promo code MEATEATERPODCAST at checkout and you get five bucks off any of our previous volumes. Go check it out. Prime viewing for you. Hey, this is the uh, Hunt to Eat podcast. Actually, that's a lie. It's the Meat Eater podcast, but Yanni is selling... Hunt to eat t-shirts. Tell them about them, Yanni. Hunt to eat t-shirts. <clears throat> My brother and I started this project maybe three years ago now. Really? It, yeah. Yeah. It started slowly. We started talking about it, you know? But how it came about was the fact that I love to hunt. I love to tell people about hunting. I love to wear... I wanted to wear a hunting t-shirt that represented really the way I felt about hunting, and I really didn't feel like I could find that at Cabell's and Sportsman's at the time, so yeah, we started making our own hunting shirts. How many states you got now? Montana, Colorado, Texas, and we have a couple uh, just kind of blank hunt-to-eat shirts, not state-affiliated. Now, I've always been able to say, because I'm always plugging Yanni's t-shirt company, his, his t-shirt empire, because... I don't, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have any stake in the game, right? Back me up on this. No, all you get is a couple of free t-shirts. All I get is a couple of free t-shirts. And I already have too many t-shirts. But now that's going to change because Yanni is actually um, going to be working on 
his design, he and his design team at the corporate headquarters, mm-hmm. world headquarters, at the world, at the hunt to eat world headquarters, are going to be working up a meat eater hunt to eat shirt. No, nope. it actually got uh, the design got approved late last night, and uh, the uh, graphics guys doing the final artwork on it this week. So I haven't even seen it. But this new shirt's going to be available through Meat Eater channels and also through Yanni's own Hunt to Eat. What's your HuntToEat.com? Yes, sir. H-U-N-T-T-O-E-A-T. Yeah, don't put the two, letter two in there. Yeah. T-O. Someone else already snagged that domain name. Really? Yeah. Did you find out who? Well, we've, it's the same thing with like MeatEater.com. You know, we've tried to contact him left and right and it's, you know, he's got a Facebook page, but it's more, it's like hunting for restaurants is kind of, oh, is the yeah. basis, but there's nothing there. You know, uh, we're going to talk about, now that we're done plugging Yanni's t-shirt company, we're actually the thing I want to talk about right now, like the, the, the purpose of this episode is to make a gigantic infomercial about the guidebook volumes that we've been working on called The Complete Guide to Hunting, Butchering, and Cooking Wild Game. Volume one, big game. Volume two, small game. But first I want to like talk about a different aspect of books. And it's because Giannis, my whole life, like my, my whole professional life or hunting life, whatever, both of those lives, people have been telling me to read Jack O'Connor, who is... You'll hear main descriptions of the guy, but he's like the granddaddy, okay? The first, the original, what's known as a gun writer, right? Yeah. He was at Aldor Life for a bazillion years. He was doing like the bulk of his hunting and writing kind of in the post-World War II years, okay? Up in, up well into the 70s. And if you own a 270, you, you own a 270 because of Jack O'Connor, right? He... He was a great champion of that cartridge. And I was guilty of having never, like, despite everybody always saying, like, oh, you should read Jack O'Connor. I never read Jack O'Connor. One of the things people always tell me about to read Jack O'Connor is because, you know, he liked to hunt coos deer, and I like coos deer. Um, He's also a big sheep guy. So I started reading. Yanni gave me a book. It's like the complete Jack O'Connor. Um, Yeah, some sort of like a compilation, greatest of i think yeah it's been a very difficult read for me <clears throat> why i'll start out by saying this i'll start out saying jack o'connor and, and i encourage you listeners i encourage you to go read some jack o'connor what jack o'connor has going for him is he's a fantastic writer okay he's a he's a great writer yes when you read some of those stories i feel like when he's talking about even though it's a warm beer, because back then they didn't refrigerate their beer well, when they were out camping. He talked about coming back from a coos deer hunt and like sitting in like a hot tent, but cracking this like warm beer. And man, when he describes it, I was like, man, I'm right there drinking that beer with you. Yeah, you know, it's great. Great writer. Um, has unique ways of getting into and out of his stories. You know, a phenomenal craftsman of words. But I just like the whole like gun writer thing is always very troubling to me. Cause like you get the sense from reading O'Connor, that guy wouldn't go on a squirrel hunt without a guide. You think? Yeah. He just like, 
he in some ways the old gun writers and some gun writers they're like they seem like trigger men mm. they are out there to shoot right and everything else to them is just like besides the shooting everything else to them is just like details they can't be bothered with right but i feel like back in his day it's like take me out so i can shoot something that's what i feel like their attitude is and he's got this thing too like this like he probably started this the whole gun writer thing where he goes he's talking about shooting at these doll sheep and reading his description brings to mind now what everyone's great fear is about long-range shooting like now like long-range shoots like oh people are taking these shots they shouldn't be taking yeah but here's jack o'connor like bragging up about taking 300 yard shots at doll sheep running full tilt yep and he's like aiming eight feet off the end of its nose gets up there he's got one in the jaw one in the ass one on the back one through the lungs and then he goes into that dumb thing gun writers go into where he's like okay so he like fills this thing full of holes taking shots he should never be taken eventually drags it down to the ground and he's like oh and the uh 68 grain you know, or the 160 grain boat tail pushed by 56 grains of duh, 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 and a blank primer really did its job. I'm like, you didn't. Right. It's just ridiculous. It's like when you're reading gun writers now and they always have that part where like, we went to wherever to, to Africa to test out the new load and they talk about this hunt and they're like, and the bullet really, it's like, really? Like that's, that's, that's not how people test things in real life. So you can't like act like that's a test. Right. Right. It's just, you're just making uh, anecdotal observations. And in here, your anecdotal observation is based off blasting away at a dull sheep at 300 yards is running full tilt. He's all, like, every shot the guy takes makes you cringe. He's right, got a, he's got that a, was almost 100 years ago. No. Yeah. Yeah. So I just feel like it was, there, was, there were different ethics back then. I'm I mean, not talking about different ethics. I'm talking about, it's just like, yeah. It, but it's the same people stuff are saying now. People act like, oh, the old days, right? So people think about Jack O'Connor, right? Like the old days, yeah, people didn't take these shots that were, you know, people were experienced and, and um, you know, no, one, like the old one shot, one bullet deal. And now you got these long range guys taking shots they should never be taken. And here's this iconic, like everyone's favorite gun writer, right? Taking ridiculous shots that guys nowadays don't take. Yeah, no, people still do take them. No, I don't think people are, I don't think you'll find many doll sheep hunters who are shooting at full tilt running doll sheep at 300 yards. I doubt it. I think a lot of guys would be like, nope. But here's a guy getting famous off that stuff. No, he's I, going to, he's I'm going to disagree. He's going to take a crack at a doll sheep where there's a U standing there and a ram standing behind the U and he can just see the crest of its back behind the U and he takes a shot seeing if he can't nick its spine. He's taking ass shots, ear shots, <laughs> any like he's just shooting. That's what I'm saying. That's how it was okay. You think that's how people hunted. It was okay to do that back then. I still think that now, maybe not skimming one over the back of a U and into the spine of one is something that someone's going to try today. But I still feel like people are taking. I mean, think about antelope. How many dudes do you think are shooting at running antelope oh, at yeah. 300 yards yeah. every day? I've killed running antelope. Sure. And it's, that's true yeah like i just feel like now people are discussing that more in a is this okay to do you know ethics type of conversation where back then it was okay 
I mean, look at Art Young and Saxon Pope. Those boys used to launch, they used to go on hunt trips with like a thousand arrows because they'd see one game animal at a hundred yards and would just start launching, yeah. you know, like a war, you know, just raining arrows. And that was, that's, you know, the beginning of the Pope and Young Club. Yeah, no, my old man, that's a good point. My old man was involved in Pope and Young way ago, like in the 50s. Right? He was bow hunting back before there were bow seasons, you know. Yeah. And he knew this guy from the Chicago, because he was big in Chicago Bowman, like a Chicago area archery club before yeah. he moved to Michigan where I was born. And there was some guy at this club called Art Laha. I guess he was some kind of big, you know, big swinging dick figure in uh, Bowman at the time. And he had this video he made where he went, went up to Alaska and just shooting, you know. And I remember he pulls up, he's out with some Eskimo hunters off the west coast of Alaska and pulls up on some walrus on an ice flow and puts an arrow into a walrus. And it's like the walrus didn't even know it happened. Right. And he's just kind of curious what had happened. You know, it's like the walrus just didn't even like register the shot. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a different. That's a, That was a real world test. Yeah. That's pre that's pre Marine Mammal Protection Act, obviously. So you might have a point with just like the standards have changed over the years, but I expected, just after hearing about O'Connor all these years, I expected to read it and have a guy who had some reasonable things to say about making the shot. Right? Mm-hmm. So you'd be I- like, here's this old guy, the old guard right your master the original and you read it and you're expecting to hear like just great insights about making the shot and instead it's just a book of ch- page after page after page of you know five bucks came running by and we all just opened up we got over there we didn't know if we got any yeah you re- you went in there with <laughs> expectations that was where you messed up you went in there thinking you knew what, what you're gonna read there um but he's a good writer yeah no, I just, I feel like he was just a, he was a, I mean, a, a, what do you want to call it? A gun rider or a trigger man, a, a, a trigger man, an, an, gun an rider. adventure rider. He just wrote about the hunts that he went on, you know? Yeah. It's been difficult for me. Reading, reading Jack. Well, the reason I gave I was you that book. On the cou- I was sitting on the couch next to my woman last night reading little Jack O'Connor. I haven't taken it lightly. I'm reading the damn thing. My brother told me to read it. And you and everybody. Yeah, the other guy I still haven't read that everybody talks about is Rourke. J- like, what's his name? Ruark, Rourke, Ruark, Ruark. Yeah, some big African game hunter, Robert. Yeah, Robert Ruark. I got to read him too. But I'm kind of, you know what? I'm not into like. Was he writing in that same time period? Yes. I'll read anything about hunting that was written pre World War One, but I think I'm just not cut out for post war. Post, post when I say post war, I mean post World War II. I'm not cut off for the post war generation, of which my father was a member. Who and here's his image right here on my desk, sitting there with a Pope and Young Colorado black bear that he uh, killed. Yanni was commenting on that because there's a pack of hounds there, and you can no longer hunt bears with hounds in Colorado. That and his apparel dates that photo. And and before we started recording here, Giannis was talking about how now, you know, we all run around in synthetics for mountain hunting. And he's like, how did you manage all that wet stuff? Cotton and wool, yeah. 
Did dudes spend more time tending to their duds or did they spend more time wet? Yeah. And it's all relative. You know, it's not like they were any more uncomfortable than we are when we're out there. No, but keep in mind too, like this, he had spent a couple years hiking from Southern Italy up into Europe during World War II and living in a hole in the ground. So I imagine like, you know, just people who camp a lot camp better, you know? So at that way, like, yeah, maybe after that, like that generation of guys that fought probably were able to deal with a lot of discomfort the same way that you and I will deal with a lot more discomfort than people who haven't been camping Mm -hmm. much. You just learn to get, you become accustomed to the feeling of wet stuff. Um, watch it. I'm going to do this amazing segue right now. So O'Connor wrote a book and we're here to talk about a book that we have that's coming out now, like right now, complete guide to hunting and butchering and cooking wild game. Now, when this whole thing started, I can't remember how it was just like, it became this idea that I had and it's that a handful of the guys that I work with at 0.0 production, we started like putting together this idea of this book because we were had been accumulating a lot of great images and, and information and had the luxury of really traveling around, meeting a lot of phenomenal hunters. What the hell are you doing, Yanni? Setting a timer. Um, and sold this book idea to the, the publisher I work with which is uh, Spiegel and Grout's imprint at Random House and, and, and sold this book idea. And I mistakenly put down, as we were putting this proposal together, I put down the word complete. So it's going to be the complete guide to hunting and butchering, hunting, butchering, and cooking wild game. And I learned over the following handful of years that you should not throw around the word complete when talking about a book because as we started to outline the project, everything that came up you'd be like well should we have something on this should we have something on that and you'd always have to say well yeah because this is the complete guide it should have been called the truncated guide to hunting butchering and cooking wild game or you know the basic guide but no it's the complete guide and we worked on it for a few years by the time it was done the book came in at 750 pages long. And I sat down with my publisher and she kindly tried to explain that you just can't, it's just very difficult. You just don't really make books that big. So we were faced with this thing of either trimming the book out now, when I wrote my Buffalo book, which is a narrative nonfiction book, okay, it's like a st- book that tells a story. It actually tells two stories. It tells the story of a very involved hunt I did for Buffalo on a, on a special lottery license that I drew in Alaska. It tells that story. And then along with that story, it tells the story of the species, of the creature, you know, from the ice ages up until the present day. Very dramatic story about an animal. That was a narrative book. That came in long. I remember I cut 100 pages out of that book. And it was painful to cut those pages out. But then the book's better. It reads better. It's like I was never writing better. I'll probably, I was never writing as good and I'll never write better than I was writing when I wrote my Buffalo book. I now know. 
Um, that was pre-marriage and pre-kids. You're smarter. I think you're a lot smarter before you get married and have kids. Um, you don't agree with that, Yanni? No. It not, really not, wears not in my your, case. It wears your brain down. It does. It wears your brain down. The exhaustion and you don't have time to read. Um, but with this book, with the guidebook, it wasn't like that, man. I couldn't stand getting rid of the stuff. And so we hit on this idea that we're going to split it into big game and small game. And it was different than just taking like an exacto knife, right? Or like it was different than just separating it out. It just changed the whole nature of the project. And that added, we'd already been over two years into it. That added another year into it to build the complete guide to hunting, butchering, and cooking wild game. Volume one, big game. Volume two, small game. A thing that's frustrated me. Um, the name of the book has led a lot of people to, to, to like write in and ask about like the recipe book or the cookbooks or butchering books. They are that. Okay. The books are that. But they're much, much more than that. And the way this thing works, I want you to feel right now like you're watching QVC. You're watching a, 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 a show, an infomercial show. So just try to get yourself in that mind frame where you're ready to call them with a credit card. Because the way the book works is I, I have volume one in my hand. Volume one's available now. Volume two will be available in a couple months. Volume one is divided into five sections. Section one, what is an introduction? Then even section one and section one deals with gear. All aspects of gear with very heavy emphasis on answering the types of questions, and we get many hundreds of them, that come into the Meat Eater website from both new and experienced hunters about gear preferences. So it covers gear up to, I mean, from hunting out your back door to hunting in the deepest backcountry around. Section two, I'm going to walk through these a little bit more to explain better. Section two is tactics and strategies. Okay. So it deals with the basics of hunting and lays down sort of a working vocabulary of different hunting methodologies hunting methods we'll talk about those a little bit more section three is big game species and methods in this section we have very detailed profiles on 14 of north america's most popular big game animals from biologic details how to read sign, best hunting methods, archery, rifle, early season, late season, calling, lay it all out, animal by animal. Section four. At this point that we're into section four, you're into the 300th page of volume one. So there's 300 pages preceding this, right? But starting at page 300, you enter into butchering. And butchering covers all aspects of, of, of field dressing, butchering, even up to packaging for the freezer, big game. And this isn't just like how to cut up a deer on a workbench at home. We deal with 
butchering issues in backcountry, skinning methods for, you know, caping heads, black bear rugs, everything. And I'm talking soup to nuts or nuts to kidneys. With great pictures to back it all up. Amazing pictures. Because here's the deal. If you normally go out and buy a book, like what, what, here's one thing we're able to do. So we've made like 60 some episodes of Meat Eater. Plus I've been hunting and, and swapping pictures with my hunting buddies my entire life. So I have a big catalog of images, but 60 episodes of Meat Eater and the way the technology is now, we're able to use screen grabs. Okay. So we're able to like grab images, publish publishable quality images out of footage to use to enhance step-by-step procedures in the book. Rain or shine every day is a great day for fishing, right? And you probably got rain gear, but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear. Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad-spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow, so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's how, that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know, they seem great to me. It's just an improvement on perfection. The new system made in the USA gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right in your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like you still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20 plus years. Deck is a game changer. There's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck out of the way and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. 
The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. The other image thing. Well, I, I'll get to the images in a minute. Finally, Section 5, Cooking Big Game. Now, this section is actual recipes. I'm talking, you go into your freezer, open the door, pull out a package, butchered and processed in the way that's described in Section 4, and what you actually do with it. I mean, teaspoon of this, tablespoon of that, recipes. And these are highlight recipes, proven great things that I love to cook, that friends of mine love to cook, recipes that we've kind of developed over time by sharing information back and forth, things that were inspired by some chefs that I know that I like to cook wild game, just like great recipes. And no make-believe recipes. Like a lot of times you open up a cookbook and there'll be a recipe like, you know, take some duck confit and put it on pasta. It's like, Dude, that's not a recipe because you're not telling me how to make duck confit. You're assuming I'm going out and buying it and then I'm putting it on recipes. Like if that's a recipe, then, then you might as well put one in there called peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or butter and bread. You know, these are like real recipes that you build from the ground up. Not like so many recipes like, like God bless them. But when I'm looking at a Mario Batali cookbook, I mean, great cook, obviously, just, you know, great guy, great cook. But a lot of times it's like basically you're going down to an Italian, you're going down to a high-end Italian deli, buying three or four things, coming home and mixing them together. And it's like, you didn't make any of that junk. Like you didn't make the pancetta. You know, it's like, you're just like uh, compiling things that someone else made for you. This is like real cooking, ground up, full balls from scratch cooking. All that being said, I feel like they're not overly complicated. No. Like everyone that I've tried out of here, you know, read through it a couple of times. I'm like, all right, I can do this. It, the, the recipes lay a foundation for just understanding how to work with wild game, yep. right? If you went through and cooked all the things in here, you'd be like, I get it. Because if you do like the, the, the big sky roasted head, which is based off of Mount, my favorite Mount, one of my favorite mountain man books, the big sky by Guthrie. Um, he always talked about his characters in this book, love to roast mule deer heads. So we got a great roast mule deer head recipe where you're basically taking like, you know, it's like, it's like a, it's a taco dish with some jowl meat. Once you roast the head for that thing, you'll never look at a head, pig head, any kind of head the same way again. You'd be like, man, there is some treasure inside that head. You might not go and make the tacos I describe in the book, but you're going to learn a lot about something that you've been throwing in the, you know, out in the woods or in a yeah. dumpster for a long time. So it's meant to like build up one's foundation. Um, you wanted to talk about photography, talk about photography, Giannis. Yeah, well, starting with the butchering section, I feel like I've looked through a lot of other books that have talked about butchering, you know, animals, game animals and whatnot. And uh, it seems like either it's like great pictures without having the <clears throat> writing to explain it or vice versa, but not really both together. I feel like we did a great job of, like you can read it and if you don't quite understand it, you look right next to that and there's the image that you're like, oh, all right, that's, yeah. what, that's what they're talking about. There's that that pelvic crest you know they need to chop out to 
you know, to pull the, uh, the guts all the way through the animal. Yeah, no, I think they're good. And we put a ton of emphasis on that. And like someone on our team, Brittany Brothers, actually, I mean, over all those years I'm talking about, we worked on this. She was during all that time that we're writing this book is operating largely as like a photo editor to help find and pull out the best images to explain everything we explain here. There's a beauty quality to it too, because we use a, a very prominent hunting photographer named John Hafner. We hired John when we were doing the recipe shoot. So we rented a house and went up for a week and just cooked and tested recipes, photographed recipes. Hafner did that. So all the food stuff is, is John Hafner work. And if you go look up John Hafner, you're going to see like some hunting stuff that'll blow your mind. John Hafner shot all that. At the same time, just out of the goodness of this dude's heart, he opened up his vast catalog of hunting images and wildlife images. Yeah, it rivals like anything you see in Nat Geo, I feel like. Just going to his website and just cruise around and look at his images and um, you'll find yourself just lost and burning time, you know, and just taking to different faraway places. Yeah, he uh, yeah, Hafner likes to hunt, man. Like he likes to hunt, but he's even said to me he'd rather he likes to hunt with a camera. Yeah, you know, likes to photograph wildlife, and so we have a lot of great wildlife imagery in here. Also, the gear. Like, so, like, jump back to talk about the gear stuff. We kind of like kick off the gear section with a quote by even though i was just trash talking gun writers <laughs> we kick off the gear section with a quote by a gun writer that i do admire greatly <laughs> chuck hawk the one and only are, let me ask you a quick question though are there any others right now you can just name off the top of your head that you do admire that i admire yeah gun writers who are like a gun writer yeah no no and i'll tell you why i'm going to read the quote that kicks off the gear section i'm going to read chuck hawk's quote Don't be intimidated by anyone's experience, including mine. There have been and still are a few good writers with vast experience in the firearms field. There are also plenty of plain old fools writing about guns and shooting and plenty of younger fools as well. Gun writers, especially those who have to produce a regular column, love controversy. That column becomes a beast that must be fed every month, so the columnist is always hungry for something to write about, and controversial ideas generate reader interest and response. Perhaps it is understandable if they sometimes go overboard. Just don't go overboard with them. The reason I put that at the head of the gear section, I can't remember who, did you find that quote? I don't, I don't even remember I where that came did. from. Chuck Hawks actually contributed to volume two where Chuck Hawks writes this great treatise on the double deuce, the 22 most popular cartridge ever. He writes a great piece breaking down the history and versatility and different ammunition options for a small game hunter of the 22. And it was great. He's the most reasonable gun writer out there. And it's funny that his quote kind of like takes a stab at his profession because it is, it's true. If you open up those things like, you know, like newsletters you get, they'd be like 10 overrated cartridges, 10 underrated cartridges, 10 sleeper long range cartridges. They love the 10 list. It's just like, what in the world? So what we try to cut through in the gear section is just all the noise. Okay. Cause to be honest with you, and this is going to make guys cringe. 
and this is something that people will fight about in bars. You know, to be honest with you, a lot of the distinctions that get drawn between calibers that, or let me put it different. There's a ton of distinctions and debate happening between calibers that are just like you really can't tell them apart in a hunting standpoint. No. It's just like people are like, yeah, I really can't decide between the then and the. It's all, it's fighting over nuances. You're fighting over very little. And it's like, if you're taking reasonable shots, you know, if you become aware of your capabilities and you're realistic about your capabilities and you're putting your shots through lungs, it's just like people are writing and debating about points that are just pointless. Well, I think they, they don't should take be the- taking all that energy to talk about their damn boots. Right. Or, yeah, so much other stuff about the caliber, whether it's the bullet construction or taking time to you know learn about shot placement, whatever it might be. But I think it comes down to just like basic ignorance because people started fighting about calibers. Yet I had a guy the other day that did not know that the 30-06 and the 300 Win Mag shoot the exact same bullet. If you choose a 125 grain 30 caliber bullet or a 180 grain 30 caliber bullet, you can put that same bullet in either one of those two cartridges and put it down, you know, the barrel of the respective gun. Yeah. But people just look at one that says Magnum behind it and they think, oh man, you know, I'm just like, I'm throwing a grenade at the animal versus just the old piddly 30 out six. Well, it's just not the case. One bullet, the only difference really when it comes down to shooting that animal is that one bullet might be moving 100 feet or 200 feet faster. Yeah that that's exactly the kind of information that try to put in here is like helping people cut through some of the noise and make good gear decisions without getting bogged down in details they don't want to get bogged down in but that doesn't mean that it's like the thing i focus on these books and we talked about constantly is they're not for beginners exclusively and they're not for experts exclusively every page in here is going to have something that's going to surprise you because the books give you opinions right you get Giannis's opinion put forth as an opinion on issues you get my opinion put forth as an opinion on issues and you'll get opinions given as such, given as personal opinions from many of the best hunters I've been lucky to meet around the country. Mm-hmm. The book is full of sections called Ways In On, where like so-and-so, like Chuck Hawks, weighs in on the 22. Yanni Patelis weighs in on his regimen, his, yeah, his regimen for practicing archery ahead of a hunt. How would you put it? Um, yeah, just the, the, the preparate, the, basically the summer prior, kind of the year prior preparation. Yeah. How do you know when you're ready for a bow hunt? Yeah. Basically like, yeah. How do you know when you're ready to go on a bow hunt for real? Yeah. Well, I want to make a note on that all the ways in, I feel like it's so reflective of how one becomes a hunter, becomes a good hunter on their own because I've had so many mentors, you know, I can just off the top of my head list 20 mentors that have all been weighing in on me for you know, 30 years 
And you just take a little bit here, take a little bit there, and you kind of formulate your own program, you know, and then eventually, you know, you can weigh in on, you know, that, that certain subject. But that's how I feel like this book is, you know, you can just go through there and, you know, pick a little bit from all these different people and then, you know, go forth on your own path. Yeah, th- that's a point I try to make again and again is like, don't discount the information that you already know to be true. Like, I, I would never say like, oh, pick this up and drop everything you found to be true because this is the real truth. It's just different. It just, it wor- learning hunting works differently than that. Yeah, and the subject is too vast to ever yeah. to do that. I used to always shoot, I mean, like, I used to always shoot Remington Corlock bullets. And I thought, man, these things work great. Love them, never had a problem. And I eventually like grew suspicious of the bullet just because people were always talking about other bullets. I'm like, well, there must be something wrong with my own findings. Don't fall into that trap. Don't. Like, if it works for you, it works, but this is going to help you inform your thinking. And it also gets into stuff, like, even though we're just kind of like laughing about these endless controversies about what caliber is best. We have a big section on it called cartridge nomenclature that breaks down what all these things mean. When you hear people say they were out shooting a 45, 70, 405, or, you know, the difference between the millimeter cartridges and the standard, like 308 cartridges, the 762 by 39, like how to understand these numbers and how to, have a conversation with people and when they name things how to like get what they're talking about not just because you memorize each particular cartridge and what it means but how to make sense out of the numerical system used to describe cartridges right maybe that's stuff you need to be a better hunter but stuff you just need to be able to process information better when you're seeing it um a lot of stuff about rifle scopes Defining the terms that you see when you buy rifle scopes and the terms you see when you buy binoculars and making sense out of what those terms mean, which ones are important and which ones are not. A section on muzzle loaders, including an explanation of why you should, if you're a versatile, well-rounded big game hunter, and that's really what the book's trying to make you is a versatile, well-rounded big game hunter, why you should probably think real seriously about getting into muzzleloader hunting if you haven't already. Yeah. And what, look, just looking at that muzzleloader page makes me think of something because I've just looked through the first 20 pages here and there are companies and brands across the board. I think that's important to know that like, we weren't held to anybody's check when we were writing this. No. Right? Like Com- This was done completely independently. Yeah. Um, no company, even companies I have great relationships with, no company had the door into this book open to them. You will find recommendations for things across the board you'll find images of many different types of gear it's not it's just not a catalog don't worry about that a very thorough explanation of moa what minute of angle means how it applies to you and your life rifle cleaning a heavy section on archery equipment making sense of archery equipment cutting through the bs of archery equipment and arrows and broadheads field maintenance kits, a heavy section on hunting optics, how to select optics, what they mean, what you need on a backpack hunt, what you can do without on a backpack hunt, 
how to decide if you want 8x or 10x binoculars. And the choice really kind of comes down to that unless you already have a good pair. How to make sense of range finders. Big thing about blade tools. What blade tools you need on backpack and backcountry hunts. What blade tools you never leave home without. Survival kits and utility kits. I don't even use the word survival kit anymore because my kit, a utility kit, I carry that thing. I could be hunting like cranes in Texas or doll sheep in Alaska. I have a little baggie that I switch out what's in it, but just my utility kit. It's my emergency kit. And you can have emergencies such as like a broken gun anywhere. So how to have a kit that you are constantly upgrading and adapting for what you're doing that almost eliminates or can help eliminate the panic you have when you realize that you should have something and you don't have it with you. Maps and navigation tools. A very healthy, spirited section on apparel. How to layer your clothes, how to make decisions between synthetics and wools. Is camo clothing and scent control clothing worth the expense? The answer is more complicated than you might think. A lot of stuff about staying warm. A lot of stuff about boots, including my opinion that footwear, no, foot problems ruin more hunts than any other problem. When I think of people just having a bad time on a hunt or having to call off a hunt, footwear causes that. Yeah, and that's definitely a little more true towards like Western mountain hunting. No, no. No? Even freezing your ass hunting ducks in Michigan. Right. You got to have the right footwear to keep your feet warm for sure. Yeah. But yeah, the blisters and issues, mountain hunts for sure. But just like feet problems kill people. Feet ruin hunts. Yeah. What doesn't ruin a hunt is that, man, I brought my 30-06 and should have brought my 300. That's just not in real life. That's not a conversation you hear. What you hear is, dude, I should have listened to you when you said that I should break my boots in for real before I go on this trip. Mm-hmm. We're waterproof from properly and know how to do it because my feet have been wet for three days and I want to go home. Yep. Yanni's wonderful section on waterproof and boots. The tools necessary. Then a big section specific to backcountry hunting because it's like I find that Many guys, like in, in my age group, my level of interest in hunting that live in the East want to do in their life, you know, they want to do some backcountry hunts. Man, they want to go on that Colorado elk hunt, you know? And it's intimidating to like get into like, what do I really need? Mm-hmm. What do you carry? What is actually in your pack on a backpack hunt? And I think that this will help immensely. And it's not pushing one product over another. I'm looking at a page here right now. I'm looking at an outdoorsman's pack system, an Arcteryx pack system, a Mystery Ranch pack system. Pros and cons of each. But basically, it's grabbing good gear that I like and that my friends like. And kind of, rather than boring you with the stuff that doesn't work, it's like the stuff that does work for people. Why it works for people. Um, stuff on loading a pack. 
okay? How to handle big weights on a pack. How to pack when you're going out that you know you might be coming back heavy with gain. Sleeping in shelter. Okay, tents, bags, sleeping pads. Bivy sacks. Are they a waste of money or not? I would say, yeah. I'm telling you why I think that they're a waste of money. Keeping warm at night in your sleeping bag. Camp stoves. I'm talking for truck hunting, car camping, to backpack hunting. Pros and cons of stoves. How to use them, how to manage them. How to pack food for a hunt. A simple way you can run into a grocery store, run into a sporting goods store, and go bam, 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 and know that you are equipped with food for however long you're going to be out, car camping or backpack hunting. Like just a simple fail-proof system of grabbing food for a hunt where you're not going to run out and you're not going to come back with a bunch of spoiled stuff you never ate. Cookware. How to handle fire and water meaning purification of water, how to get fires when you need them, despite the, you know, whatever the conditions. A very graphic picture of a crushed finger and backcountry risks. Staying safe in the backcountry. Now, section two tactics and strategies. Yanni, walk them through section two. This right. kind of include the highlights, the stuff that like, Kind of what's in there, some surprising things. I feel like this is where I maybe learned the most because my main hunting career started, you know, once I moved to Colorado at the age of 19, started guiding elk hunts and I hunted the same spot all the time. And it was shown to me, you know, because that's where I had to guide. Where you, I think, came out west and we're not guiding, we're just hunting on your own. And so you just, you know, learned a larger chunk of ground and had to figure out on your own how to find these sweet honey holes that I was pretty much, you know, shown to. And so I feel like you do a great job of really just breaking down like a, um, a method of, you know, looking at maps, talking to people, plat maps and whatever, and little tricks to like go and find your own honey holes, which is, you know, that's that's awesome. That's an important thing I got into with this. And I talk about public and private land how to get permissions on private land, mainly how to find spots on public land. Because I find that a lot of guys have a vulnerability. Like you got a guy who likes to hunt. I've had a lot of friends fall in this trap, man. They like to hunt. They got this spot they hunt deer, right? And they go there every deer and opening day they shoot a deer and that's their spot. Then all of a sudden something happens. Guy that owns it dies, sells it. Yeah. His his nephew gets old enough. Or say he moves. Yeah. The guy moves. Yeah, that's another thing that happens. Your buddy moves. And they never hunt again because they never figured out like how to find hunting spots. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I hunt my mother-in-law's place, you know? And then whatever, you get a divorce, you don't have a mother-in-law anymore. And then they just hang it up because they can't fathom the process of beginning to find hunting locations. Oh, man. And I am going through it firsthand right now. Like, you wouldn't believe. I'm living that every day. I mean, I li- moved to Montana less than, a, less than a year ago. It's my first year li- as a resident in that state. I've got a pocket full of tags and yet i'm looking at these maps and i'm like i i, I mean i have places that i'm gonna go and i'm gonna hunt because i've figured it out but like i don't have a, anything on my map circle that says go here proven, find loca- out. Yeah, yeah. proven location <laughs> so um you know and that's the thing dude, i get into is like a lot of like not sneaky but a lot of things that people don't think about trying totally and i think that shows up even more in the private land section 
because so many people, I think, I, feel, I don't know why now it's it's that way when, you know, 20 years ago, everybody just went and knocked on doors. But like people, I feel like just don't do it as much anymore and don't think about trying to go and find a free private land hunting spot. Yeah. Like they're out there. And, and um, I got, yeah. And I include in here some strategies for doing that, such as, and it's a thing that's worked for me many times, is you get your foot in the door with a squirrel hunting or a rabbit hunting permission. Yeah, totally. That you request in the wintertime when that guy's not getting his door beaten down by people. Mm-hmm. And you prove to be a cool guy who, like, comes out to hunt squirrels. Knows how to respect the property. Knows how to close the gates. A little bit there. It goes a long way. Next thing you know. The guy, brings the guy some zucchini bread. Right. Cooks some kind of cool thing with the, with the rabbits that he got off the guy's property. Brings him by a little bit of that. Maybe even emails the dude a couple pictures saying, hey, man, I thought you'd like to see um, the awesome dinner I made with the squirrels I shot on your place. And he's thinking, that crazy son of a bitch ate those squirrels. I like that guy. Yeah. And pretty soon he's saying to you, you know what? You know, if you, uh, you know, we got room out here. You know, if you want to come out and hunt deer, you know, go ahead. Yeah. Because- maybe, and again, maybe it starts with a couple does. Yep. But then two years down the line, you got to look down the line and look into the future. Next thing you know, he's like, sure, you can shoot a buck. It's happened to me many times. Yep. I got a guy. He's a friend of mine, but he's a, he's a landowner. And I've been out to his place to hunt a few times. And after a while, he noticed that I never actually really shot anything on this place. I'd kind of go out there just to kind of like, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to come up, but I'd wind up hanging out and doing stuff with him, you know? that kind of won his heart in a way. I also tell just a couple actual stories about stuff, but also public land tricks. You might not think of like something I like to do. And I've done with some success now and then is be undercover and interview hikers at trailheads, not telling them what you're actually trying to drive at, but just talking to them like, Hey, what'd you see? Yes. What'd you hear? You know, did you guys see any blank up there? And you can get some up-to-date information that if you jumped out and said, yeah, I'm hunting, they'd have kept quiet. Yeah, totally. Sneaky little things. Many of them. How to read maps, a bit about using trail cameras. And the main thing, how to access areas other guys aren't accessing. And I don't mean because it's way off in the mountains. It just could be because you know, you're like parking you know, alongside a power line and you're hammering ducks or in this case, big game, you're, ha- you're hammering deer in some spot the guys aren't hunting because they never thought to bring a pair of chest waders with them. And the yeah. first thing you got to do is wade across a couple big ditches. And also you realize no one's going over there. They all go in the other direction because it's like they want to get away from the car. Yeah. I almost, I almost fought you on publishing that little tip. Cause I know, guys, waiter I, oh, I know guys that do it and literally they, it takes them an extra 10 minutes of getting up earlier in the morning to, and that way they can put them on, cross the river, take them off. They stash them under a tree and they have haunting grounds that are just like under people's noses. But people are like, Oh river. Yep. Keep driving. Can't get across that thing. You know? If you hunt whitetails or you hunt pheasants and stuff and you don't have chest waders sitting in the back of your truck, you're a moron. Yep. A big thing about tags and licenses. Just kind of breaking down tag draws. It's a thing people are always wondering about. Breaks down over-the-counter stuff. How over-the-counter stuff works. How registration hunts work. Mm-hmm. How stuff like governor's auctions. Are governor's tags good or bad? 
we talk about that and kick that issue along. Um, I'm talking like in an ethical way. How do you feel about governor's auctions? How you feel or like how to work, not how you feel about it, how to work what's called landowner tags. How to play the points game for dream hunts in Western states. What are the toughest, coolest tags you could possibly draw? Mm-hmm. I researched that little piece and that was you know, interesting to me as someone that hunts a lot to really see what are some of the, the toughest tags to draw that you know most of us will never ever draw. But I, I was surprised to find one on the east coast of the uh, country and I'll keep that a surprise for you. Then we get into the methods. And it starts off with spot and spot, spot and stock hunting. And I feel like this is it, it's a basic overview of each one of these methods, but there are points where it gets so detailed that I can't call it just a basic overview of spot and stock hunting anymore. Um, got a map that shows you a, a great way to already pick your glassing locations before you ever even set foot in the country. Um all different kinds of stuff on glassing, how to how to use different methods of glassing, whether it's yeah, like know, how to work a patch of ground with a pair of binoculars. Yeah. Like you sit down and here's like three hundred and sixty degrees of terrain. You don't glass it like you think you, you don't just sit down and be like, oh I'm gonna start looking around with my binoculars. It just doesn't work that way. There's a system, there's a way you break up the landscape and prioritize the landscape and study it in yep. chunks. And that's explained here. Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place. And if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater rain or shine every day is a great day for fishing right and you probably got rain gear but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear columbia pfg solar stream elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day man i was just in hawaii and i had my columbia pfg solar stream elite hoodie with me and here's the deal we're in and out of the water all the time getting to go spear fishing getting out taking the kids to the beach i'm not gonna mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off I just run a hoodie. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad-spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow, so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. 
Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's how, that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know. They seem great to me. It's just an improvement on perfection. The new system, made in the USA, gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like you still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20 plus years. Decked is a game changer. There's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck out of the way and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Me and, me and Yanni right now are just lost in, uh, in reading. Yeah, we, we're just looking at the pretty pictures. Vinyls versus spot and scopes. When is each appropriate for spot and stock hunting? Mm-hmm. Things like, what do people talk about when they say you're going to put them to bed? Okay. Or how to plan stocks on animals you found. Yep. You see them go into their bedding area. You see them go into their feeding area. How to pattern their movements. How to plan stocks according to wind and topography. Big issue. Yeah, and actual, actual diagrams and pictures showing that stuff. Like, hey, here's a picture. This is an actual place that... I saw an elk. I made a stalk. This is how I did it. This is what the wind was doing. And um, it just hammers it home, you know, when you can see it in a picture like that. How the wind behaves on a mountain. Like, you always have, like, wind direction, right? But the wind gets squirrely in the mountains due to thermals and the structure of a mountain. And how to, like, make predictions about what the wind's going to be doing and things that override dominant wind can conditions okay detailed stuff but very important and anyone who's hunting in the mountains especially the bow is going to know exactly what we're talking about this is going to make sense of some of the observations they may have had or some of the things they didn't put together ambush hunting you know i love our illustration here and we got to give a shout out to piece of chesky because he did yep. an incredible job with our illustrations and it's basically just an illustration showing six different ambush points, funnels, pinch points, whatever you want to call them. And you're probably never going to see exactly what one of these looks like. But when you look at the whole overall illustration, you get the idea of, okay, when I'm in the woods, this is what I'm looking for. This, you know, this would be a great place to set up an ambush. Yeah. Like how to anticipate funnels and pinch points. I learned to start thinking about game in terms of funnels and pinch points when I was a fur trapper. Mm. Cause in a fur trap, you're looking at it on a grand scale. Yeah. Okay. How are animals just going to move across the landscape? Yeah. But at the same time, how are you going to get them to place their foot on a one and a quarter inch circle, mm-hmm. a trap pan. So I really started to think about stuff that way. I also started to be like, why do I always catch Fox here? Not there. And you step back and look at aerial photography and you're like, oh man, I can't believe I never realized that. Right. This power line or gas line connects all this different agricultural land. And the animal can basically run down this power line and hit farm to farm to farm to farm. 
you know, and, and travel on a clear path. And you go like, that's why there's always Fox there. Yeah. It's not because like whatever, how the field's laid out. It's because he got put there by his path, you know, by the best way for him to travel the landscape. So stuff on that. Where are we at with time? We're at uh, about 50 minutes. So. Oh, okay. All right, everyone. I know you're enjoying the Meat Eater podcast and you're especially enjoying it because it's free. And to keep it that way, we got to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. Still hunting. Yanni had, Yanni worked a lot because Yanni's a still hunter. Like he likes to still hunt for elk. And we get into how still hunting is different than just walking around in the woods. Mm-hmm. Which essentially is what it is and why I love it. I just love taking a very long, slow walk through the woods with rifle in hand. But uh, yeah, it breaks it down. Decoys and calling. Another very detailed, you know, long. And, and again, these are the basics in each uh, species by species section. We revisit decoys and calling for elk. We revisit spot and stock hunting for elk. And you'll actually find more words written in that section, you know, specifically, you know, to that animal about spot and stock hunting than you do here in the basic section. Yeah, that's the thing that I, I want to point out about the books. Like, if you get into the books, start reading them. Is you can't just be like, oh, I like to hunt elk, therefore I'll skip ahead and read the elk section. It just doesn't work that way. If you, are, if you just hunt whitetails, I would still suggest that you read the entire book because you will constantly find insights and ideas everywhere in this book they're going to pertain to your life and yep. to your type of hunting. As a great example, Jay Scott and Dark Holborn of Colburn or Scott Outfitters weigh in on judging bighorn rams. The way that these guys methodically go about doing this for bighorn rams you could take the exact same principles and apply it to any other animal if you're into you know judging you know uh antler size or whatever it might be and these guys have to know this because they're sheep guides and when they get a high paying client that comes in and he wants a sheep of x caliber it's these guys that eventually say that's the one you're after and their livelihood you know they're like business depends on their ability to say like what that thing is. So to hear them talk about how to look at an animal, if you like to hunt bears and, and you don't care about shooting a record book bear, you just don't want to be surprised and walk up and realize you shot like a 75 pound one-year-old female because you'd rather have 200 pounds of meat. Learning their idea about how you look at an animal, how you compare animals to other animals, how you make these decisions is going to apply to your life as well. Or you might be in an area where you have certain requirements you have to meet. It's got to be a brow tine bull. Brow tine's got to be six inches long to be able to kill an elk. The elk's got to be a branch antlered bull. It's got to be a full curl sheep to be legal, right? How to look at animals and not just be blown away and surprised when you see them, but how to look at them, you know, objectively and make determinations about the size, age, characteristics of the animal you're looking at. A lot about drive hunting. I grew up drive hunting for whitetails. It was a big part of every year. A few days you'd spend drive hunting for whitetails. How to do a drive hunt. How to try to pull off drive hunts in the mountains where it's very difficult. And then a lot of things on being a backpack hunter. Earlier we talked about backcountry gear. Here we talk about backcountry living. 
how to camp in the backcountry on a hunt and not ruin your own hunting chances by leaving too much of a footprint. How to deal with grizzlies. Making the shot a lot of information about shot placement for big game, about actually shooting and marksmanship, different types of rests, how to aim on animals in a variety of positions, how to decide what sort of hold on an animal you need according to where it is and what it's doing, shots not to take, how to track, how to, you know, blood trail, how to look at a patch of blood and tell what you're looking at, whether you did a good job or a bad job, what you might anticipate happening, how to read an arrow, after you, when you find your arrow after shot, what does that arrow tell you about your hit? And not only that, it's not just like, oh, what's going to, it's not just like looking into a crystal ball. It's going to tell you how to behave according to what you see on that arrow. How long to wait, why you're waiting, the risks of waiting, how to make decisions. Big game section, alphabetical. We start with antelope. Each section like this, you like the antelope section. It's got, basics okay we have each animal has a barroom banter we'll tell you something surprising about the animal you do not know barroom banter is meant to make you a cooler guy to talk to at a bar because you'll be able to say like you know what i'll tell you one thing and you'll tell the person the thing you read in barroom banter and they'll be like no shit yeah <laughs> yeah diet life and death how long they live and what kills them is life and death breeding and reproduction how that goes down for them kind of habitats they'd like, telltale signs they'd like. Mm-hmm. Distribution. So it's your classic where it lives. What's cool about that is next to that is hunting opportunities, state-by-state hunting opportunities map, where it breaks down that animal, not just in its distribution, but whether, it's w- whether hunting opportunities in a state are widely available, of limited availability, where you have the animal, but there's no hunting for it, and where it's just not present, so it's not an issue. If you look at the bighorn sheep hunting opportunities map, it's all limited availability. There's no easy way to get a bighorn tag. Antelope, it's split. Half the state's widely available, and we explain what that means and how to go about getting those tags. Half the state's limited availability. You got to do a draw to get an antelope tag. It'll help you think about destinations if you want to go on that big western hunt. Then, edibility, just thoughts on edibility general thoughts on hunting opportunities and then hunting methods so earlier we were talking about spot and stalk hunting ambush hunting decoys and calling okay those then get applied in a very specific way to each of these animals archery firearm how to do all those hunting methods how does that apply are they appropriate for the animal or not if so what particular things do you need to do to make those methods described in the hunting methods section work for the species so we get into antelope, then we roll into bighorn sheep. Bighorn sheep for the hunting methods, the main thing I talk about in bighorn sheep is I, I get into some details about tag draws. The only way you're going to hunt a bighorn, unless you're loaded, and I explain how to do it if you're loaded. If you're not loaded, how are you going to hunt bighorns? You're going to win a lottery tag for a bighorn tag. This section is basically devoted to that. If you have a life's goal of hunting a bighorn, how do you start right now? At what age is it too late for you to start? What age is it that you should start now? And here's how to kind of begin and how to kind of think about getting the tag. And if you read the rest of the book and learn how to spot and stalk and still hunt, whatever, you'll be prepared when you do draw that tag. You'll be prepared for a big one, huh? Black bear. 
long section on black bear because you got to deal with coastal hunting, mountain hunting, hunting fruit orchards, bait pile hunting, hunting everywhere from Maine to California, spring and fall. It's a big subject. Yeah, and our hunting opportunities maps, you know, this information changes because animals fluctuate, the population of these animals fluctuates. And so in 10 years, you know, these maps might be be spot on, but working on the hunting opportunities maps was very interesting to me because you just have no idea. You just always focus on your own state where you live or your region of the country. And you go, wow, you can actually hunt black bears. It looks like in more than half the states in our country. I had no idea until I worked on making that map. So I feel like out of every section, when you look at those, it'll just kind of give you more of a, um, you know, a uh, continental or not continent wide, but you know, country wide view of where, where these animals live and where you can hunt them. Now, as far as like something, we got a Appalachian bear hunter. Got it goes by the name Shing Daddy. He weighs in on bear on how to establish a bear bait station. All of his thoughts on that. Then we got Jared Fink, a Wisconsin hunter, weighs in on archery stand placement for bear baits. So if you're hunting bow over bear bait, how you go about thinking about positioning your stand? We got another guy, an Idaho bear hunter, Chad Bart, weighs in on placing stand near bear bait for rifle hunting. What are the special considerations you have to take into effect when you're doing, you have to think about when you're doing bait pile hunting with a rifle? All very different. Black-tailed deer, okay, range from California on up into Alaska. How to work topography for black-tailed deer. The difference between a black-tailed deer hunt in September and November. How the animals move and use their landscape. Buffalo. A little bit about buffalo hunting, a lot about how to handle big carcasses. That's the thing I think of when I think of a buffalo hunt is you're handling a giant carcass. So earlier I mentioned, like, it doesn't matter what you do. You're going to find good stuff in all these chapters. I don't care if you hunt moose, caribou, whatever. You're going to learn a lot about handling big carcasses and handling big carcasses in grizzly country in this section that you'll be able to apply to any situation you're in. Caribou. Careful detail on caribou and a lot about my favorite way to hunt them, which takes into effect the funnels. So earlier we talked about funnels, pinch points. We get into greater detail with caribou, how lakes impact caribou movements, how valleys and valley floors affect caribou movements, how mountain passes affect caribou movements. Some tricks to dealing with air carriers and bush pilots when you're trying to do a guided caribou hunt. How to tell a male from a female, which is a lot more difficult than you might think because they're the only antlered animal we have where the females carry antlers here in North America. Doll sheep. A personal favorite of mine. But again, the chapter has a lot to do with hunting in the mountains and living under very difficult circumstances. How to get in a position where you can put on a lot of miles in the mountains every day without wearing yourself out. Rick French, an Alaska sheep guide, he weighs in on the do's and don'ts of doll sheep hunting. And it is probably, you know, it's a couple hundred words that is, has more wisdom about sheep hunting in it than anything you're going to find. We get into elk, and Yanni worked tirelessly on the elk section. Break down some thoughts here, Yanni. Mm. 
Including elk. a sweet picture carved into a tree that Yanni found of an elk, which is kind of amazing looking. Yeah, it is great. I'm glad I know exactly. Hopefully that tree still stands for quite a while. I can go back and look at it. That's in Colorado. A uh, More than likely a, um, what do they call them? Arborglyphs. A uh, sheep herder that they usually come up from South America uh, during the summer in Colorado and herd sheep come from play, all over the place. Uh, Peruvians and uh, I can't remember some of the other. Anyways, you see a lot of arbor lifts on the Aspens in Colorado. And uh, it was funny because where, where I found this, this is on a scouting, little scouting mission I was doing. And I think like a week or 10 days later, we ended up killing two cows within a couple hundred yards of that tree. Was oh, that right? Yeah. So That thing too, it's like this book takes time for beauty, man. This book has a nod toward the beauty of the natural world. Mm-hmm. Yanni gets real heavy into, uh, yeah, you know, Yanni was an elk guide. Gets real heavy into calling. How to make sense of game calls, how to use game calls. Yeah, and especially here for elk, you know, and again, the uh, illustrations that, uh, you know, we came up kind of with the ideas, and then, you know, Pete Sacheski was able to actually put them into, you know, what now looks like art, and uh, you really get a good sense of when we, when we, you know, in text talk about the T-boning technique and what that means to kind of, you know, basically parallel herd, you know, waiting for the right opportunity to, to bank in and, and make a move and try to get a shot, and uh, again, he put it into a beautiful illustration. Yeah, I think we talk about a lot with elk hunters where, you know, a lot of great elk hunters, and, and I used to be an avid uh, archery elk hunter. As you kind of talk about like what's your strategy and you'd be like ah oh, we kind of just get close to him and wait for something to happen yeah you know like well what does that mean exactly and Giannis breaks down with the thing he calls t-boning he breaks down like what that means when you get into a herd how you can stay near herd without that herd knowing you're there and what you're doing when you're waiting for like what we call something to happen happen and how to help it happen um and mainly just like staying close to elk without elk knowing you're there we have a section called a bunch of things to keep in mind when calling out just bullet pointed stuff that might not fit into the text, but it's just like stuff you got to have. Yep. And again, ambush hunting is covered in regards to elk. Still hunting is covered in regards to elk. All of it's there. Havelina. It's not a celebrated game animal. It should be this mainly the goal of this chapter is to make you realize that you are insane if you don't hunt javelina big thing on moose okay everything you want to know about moose hunting alpine stuff low country stuff maine stuff alaska stuff how to gauge legality of moose which is very tricky for anyone who wants to go do a do-it-yourself moose hunt in alaska where they tell you it's got to have a 50 inch spread or four brow tines you have never known stress in hunting until you've pulled the trigger on a moose and then you got to get over there and find out if your calculations were correct, how to like think about that and how to not make mistakes and a very good definition and explanation of why you should never pull the trigger on a moose. If you think he's 50 and that's all you're going by is your estimation of him being 50 inches wide. You need more than that. You need more than, Oh, he's got to be 50. Um, how not to make mistakes that could land you in very serious legal trouble with a confiscated animal, potentially a confiscated truck and firearm, like how to avoid these kind of mistakes. And that sort of information is everywhere in here. How to handle more stuff on handling a big-ass carcass. 
mountain goat hunting telling males from females where to go what kind of mountaineering equipment you want on a mountain goat hunt what's too much what kind of mountaineering equipment is going to get you in trouble what kind of mountaineering comp, uh, equipment might save your ass a picture of my wonderful sister-in-law six months pregnant with a mountain goat she killed going to show that not anyone can hunt mountain goats but someone with the right attitude can do it no one of my favorite sections 12 pages that are just packed full of awesome information about hunting mule deer and some of the better uh ways in not better they're all great but great ways in pieces from remy warren steve reed colorado uh hunter and guide remy warren Brody Henderson, all guys that kill a, a lot of uh, mule deer, just kind of give you, you know, their view of it and, and how they go about it. And here's Yanni with a giant mule deer he killed on a public land Colorado hunt, not far from a road. Yeah. Crunch time hunt, high competition, getting dandies. Big thing on wild pigs, okay? This gets into the politics of wild pigs. It gets into the definitions of wild pigs. Razors back, Eurasian boars, feral pigs, wild pigs. How it's all one thing. Seuss scrofa. Okay? Everything, spot and stalk hunting, how to hunt natural baits, naturally occurring baits for pigs, shot placement on pigs, the trouble you can get in bow hunting for pigs with shot placement. A humongous whitetail section. Because a lot of people, a lot of hunters cut their teeth on whitetail hunting. The whitetail section, more than any other section, is meant to be a beginner's guide to whitetail hunting. Yeah, we did a little piece on the gray ghost, Steve's favorite, the coos deer. The whitetail hunter, Chris Eberhart, weighs in on public access whitetails. This guy's whole deal, like he's devoted his life to killing whitetail bucks in places you would not even think to hunt. And he breaks his method down for you. He hunts mm-hmm. chunks of land you didn't realize you could hunt on. And, and he kills I, deer that no one knows are there. And what I love about Chris is that he does it economically. Out of an old minivan. Yes. The guy just has a system and he hunts everywhere. And this guy can roll into a new state and find bucks that the guys that live there don't even know are there. As long as you can, find, as long as you can afford the tag and some gas... Yeah. You, you can do it the Chris Eberhardt way. Doug Duran weighs in on his favorite whitetail hunting method called a mooch. I don't know. We tease him endlessly. What is that? Because that's a fishing term. You know, it's like banana weight, cut plug herring, you're mooching salmon. Doug, they mooch deer. Um, it works. It's a fun hunting method. We break it down with graphics. They've killed some giants. Big thing about Jack O'Connor's very own gray ghost, the coos deer. Why you should get into hunting it. Butchering yeah, he, section. You know, he was the one that called it the poor man's sheep, which I Did didn't know until I read that book. And uh, it's fitting. Butchering big game. Big game in the field. Okay. What to do in the field. How to handle large animals on the ground in the field. How to gut a deer the right way. You can break all the rules, but you got to learn them first. It's like with writing. You can break all the rules in writing once you learn them. You can break the rules in gutting once you learn them. Here's like how to really gut an animal well. 
all your shortcuts and gutless method and all that garbage, it's fine. Do it well, do it right the first few times and so you know what product you're after and then you can mess around. How to gut, how to skin, how to leave evidence of sex, which is, uh, which is a requirement in many states, what that means, the best way, cleanest way to do it. Field skinning, okay? How to skin stuff in the field, how to skin it on the ground, how to skin it hanging in the field. Very detailed photography. A bunch of just random field dressing tips. 12 random field dressing tips. Skinning big game for taxidermy and tanning. Okay, How to handle bear hides, deer capes, everything. How to cut away skull plates. Handling meat in the field. What not to do, what to do. For clean, good, safe, healthy meat. Thoughts on aging game meat. Bonus parts or how to show maximum respect for your prey, how to handle deer heads, deer hearts, kidneys, liver, nuts, tongues, tongues. Yeah, and this stuff is kind of interspersed too in some level sidebars, you know, about a, uh, you know, a, a tongue or whatever. And that's, you know, the true meat eater style. I, I feel like, you know, where we take it to the next level and give you that, give Thought. you the power to, you know, to, to do more. How to handle lard. Thoughts on handling lard from bears and wild pigs. What's it good for, what it's not good for, how to make it, how to use it. There's another example of that. Breaking down a big game animal. So you got a skinned out carcass. You're ready to butcher. How to break that thing down. How to think about the different cuts. How to freeze the different cuts. How to bone out. What bones are good for stuff. How to do something fast because you don't have time and you got to get your animal in the freezer because it's hot out and you got to be to work and you want to do it yourself but you only got an hour what to do then that allows you to do a better job later when you're ready to pull it out of your freezer later. It's like a two-stage butchering method that I use all the time. Just how to do it fast and right. How to make burger, grinding burger, okay? How to freeze big game meat, a variety of methods, pros and cons for all the ways to put big game in your thing. And finally, we get down to the recipes. Smoking hams off deer and bears, making pulled pork recipes with wild game, making stock from wild game, blade in roast, asabuco or braised shank, how to fry up heart and liver, how to do marinades, how to make uh, veal parmesan with game meat, all kinds of stuff about grilling steaks and marinades and dry rubs and do's and don'ts, stuff on burgers, jerky, grilling whole loins, making deer heads, all kinds of stuff on making your own fresh sausages and charcuterie. Stuff about camp meals, in the field preparations of crazy stuff that'll blow people's minds. A um, lot of thoughts on burger, how to deal with it. Some, some surprising stuff like mincemeat pie with bear lard crust, how to roast a rack of deer ribs out in the field for a great camp meal. It just goes on and on and on and on. That feels pretty complete to me. Dude, it's a complete guide to hunting, butchering, and cooking wild game. Okay. I already have my closing thought. I'm yeah, ready, what's I'm your closing thought? And I'm sorry, listeners, if we feel like we're rushing out of here, but we have a big day. We've got some travel. We're heading to Alaska for a, a uh, secret project. Secret, pro- top secret. Yeah, we're going out to work on a secret project that is not meat eater. Yes. We're bringing rifles and fishing poles. 
but that's for just extracurricular. Yeah. But it's a part it's a part of a master plan. Anyways, my closing thought on this monster infomercial guidebook plug here is that um I'm not brown nosing, it's gonna sound like I am, but like all of Steve's books, it's it, it doesn't read like some dry how to manual. It is that, but it is intimate and fun to read and um you get to read other people's words, you know, with all the ways in. So like, it's not like you're picking up a textbook and prepared to be bored. No, you're going to pick it up and go, man, I can't believe I just knocked out 50 pages and it's time to go to bed. I want to hear the anecdote about your, your brother in this book that you just told me yesterday. My brother called me to say how much he liked it when he got a copy and he's been reading it to his, uh, his six-year-old as bedtime stories. His kid, he said his kid's fascinated. Here's the deal. Here's he my, it. here's my concluding thought, man. I don't want you to think this is just a big bullshit party we're having right now. Like I honestly, okay. I honestly am very happy with how these books turned out. I'm very proud of these books. If I wasn't, I would not be sitting here like doing this. I'm not just doing this to sell some books. I really not. It was a lot of work that a lot of people did. And it's something that, I will look at for the rest of my life and be proud to have been involved in 18, 19 people were heavily involved in the making of this book. Okay. It was a group effort. It's really like, there's nothing else like this exists in the hunting world. I promise you. I have read it. Okay. It's out there. I've read it. Nothing like this is out there. Um, you, I'm like telling you, like in a, in a personal way, you will not be disappointed by these books. You really won't. Um, that's as much as I'm gonna say about it. This is the infomercial podcast. Go buy one of Yanni's t-shirts. Buy complete guide to hunting, butchering, and cooking wild game, volume one, big cam, available now. Steven Rinella. Um, enjoy yourselves, Yanni. You already gave your clothing thoughts, but I did. That's it. Peace out. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Hey, listen up. This sounds like an advertisement, but it's not. It's, 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 it's different than an ad. I need you guys and gals that listen to go check out the Complete Guide to Hunting, Butchering, and Cooking Wild Game, which is written by myself and some people from the Meat Eater team and a collection of the best hunters from around the country. It's a two-volume set. Volume one, big game, is coming out in August. Volume two, small game, comes out in December. Um, again, it's called The Complete Guide to Hunting, Butchering, and Cooking Wild Game. It totals about 750 pages of content dealing with gear, tags, hunting basics, advanced hunting strategies, field butchering, recipes, Everything you need to know to be a better hunter or to get started in hunting if you haven't done it before. If I had had this book when I was a kid, it would have changed my life. It's going to change yours. I'm not joking. You can pre-order now. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, Target, Powell's, Walmart, wherever books are sold. It's out there. It's beautiful. It's huge. It's two volumes. Do yourself a favor. Do me a favor. 
give this book a look. This episode of the Meat Eater Podcast is brought to you by The Art of Charm, a podcast about leveling up in life, in relationships, and friendships, at work, at home, and everywhere in between. This is not pop psychology. It has insights with a practical edge so listeners can apply something right out of the box every show. Go to artofcharmpodcast.com or find The Art of Charm in iTunes or Stitcher. Take your life to the next level. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Telling you what, Decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the Decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up, too. You keep your tools and gear organized job site or out in the field go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping go to decked.com slash meat eater get yourself some free shipping